brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Shelton case, where are we? Let's make the deal. They killed a little girl, Nate. Some justice is better than no justice at all. You need to tell the husband. No, I don't understand. The jury's gonna believe me. The deal is done. I'm sorry. This is just how the justice system works. your friend Ames in prison, but I wanted to keep you all for myself. Did you murder Clarence Darby? He killed my wife and child. You and whoever else you have helping you are gonna pay. Now you're the one who makes deals with murderers, yeah. So I've come to make mine. Release me or what? Or I kill everyone. We have him locked up and he's still killing people? We're gonna lock this city down, put an armed cop on every corner. He's in jail because he wants to be in jail. I'm gonna bring the whole system down on your head. It's gotta be biblical. You will end this. I'm just getting warmed up. Hello, friends. Welcome to They Call This a Movie, testing the strengths of friendship one terrible movie at a time. You can find us on Podbean at theycallthismovie.podbean.com. We're also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and what's the other one? Uh, Spotify. I believe Spotify. we are on Spotify. We're on Spotify now. We're also, we are also proud members of Geek Vibes Nation. You could find them at geekvibesnation.com and at Twitter at gvnation.com, I believe. Right, Mark? Yep. I believe so. Very good. I am Dan Aquino. With yeah, me, and... as always, is Mark Myers. And that little silence you hear is our dearly, dearly departed friend, Anthony Del Vecchio. We... Was, <sighs> it's a... sad, Mark. He was a good friend. I mean, he's... I know he's looking down on us right now, um, screaming at you about that intro, but <laughs> and we're just doing our best. We're trying to hold it together for you, buddy. I didn't... I don't write it down. I like to keep it kind of... You know, I like to wing it. But yeah, This, uh, this yeah. is the new They Call This a Movie. Just gonna have to deal with it. Yeah, well, if he it, wherever he is, I hope he's happy with the final outcome. But moving on without him, uh, this week we really didn't know what to do because since Anthony's gone, we are leaderless, directionless, and I just picked a movie out of random, and we decided on Law Abiding Citizen, the 2009 vehicle for Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx. Dan, uh, admit it, you picked it because it was set in Philadelphia. Because you yes. love Philadelphia so much. My second favorite Philadelphia movie, right behind Mannequin 2. Oh, good. Yeah, it, it, it is definitely the best, um, or I'm sorry, the second best Philadelphia movie ever made. Yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to find oh, a you'd better be hard, movie. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And 
I think this movie really does Philadelphia justice. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, in but, ways that you don't even know about because you don't live in this city. <laughs> well, I don't live there. So, but I, well, with all the murdering and all that, I just figured, oh, well, yeah, that's Philadelphia. Well, that, that's the, there's some little things that I will get into when we get uh, into it. Little nuances, right? Yes. All right. So, yes, we decided to go with uh, Law Abiding Citizen, directed by F. Gary Gray. Now, I was going over his filmography, yeah. and this guy has a pretty good resume as a director. He directed The Italian Job Remake, The Negotiator, Friday. Everyone loves Friday. Great movie. Straight out of Compton. <laughs> one of your favorites, Fate of the Furious. Uh, yes, it is one, it's, it's yeah, one in the series, but... No, you love it. You have to. You're. I think you're uh, contractually obligated to love that movie. It's middle of the pack. Oh, okay, of but you like movies. it. You still like it. Yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. it for opening night. I'm sure you did that. That's your MCU right there. Uh, and he also directed the more recent movie, Men in Black International, which was terrible. And I hope it makes another episode of uh, They Called This Movie. Maybe we, we will review that. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do it at some point. Maybe we'll do it in honor of Will Smith releasing a July 4th movie or something <laughs> Well, next year. That's I, I I didn't know what F. Gary Gray looked like, so I looked, you know, I went on the IMDb yeah. page, and he looks cool as shit. <laughs> so, like, I kind of, I don't want to make fun of him, because I feel like a lot of people would like him, and then be like, well, well wait, he, why are you ragging on F. Gary Gray for, man? Yeah, he seems to direct a certain style of movie from the things you rattled off there. Kind of, but then this movie does not fit that uh, that tone, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I th I think it's more he into you know a lot of um, this a lot of thrillers, but he mm -hmm. tried to he tried to stretch to a psychological thriller here instead sort of action, of, yeah. you know. Right. And I think it we'll we'll get into it deeper, but you know I think it missed the mark a little bit in in that respect. And um, I don't know how much of that it was the script because mm -hmm. a lot of the shots he had were pretty good, pretty, you know, pretty beautiful shots and used Philadelphia correctly sure. um, to at least to a Philadelphian going, that's a good establishing shot for where they're going. And I know it's not like in, you know, Rocky when they send the ambulance the wrong way. Right. And you love harping on that. <laughs> but and it, it's also it not like, so mad. it's not like <laughs> devil, the M night Shyamalan movie where yeah. he has Philadelphia upside down for the establisher. And there's, yeah. it, that's just not how you do it. But yeah, there was definitely some good uh, cinematography in this yeah. movie. Uh, this movie was also written by Kurt Wimmer, who wrote such movies as Equilibrium, Ultraviolet, and Total Recall, the remake. Three awful movies. Yeah. And this kind of translates more into maybe the writer than the director. Yeah. Because th to me, this kind of fits a, a Total Recall or Ultraviolet kind of feel a little bit. Yeah. But so I, I blame more on him. But uh, yeah, so... Mark, have you ever seen this movie before? No, I have not, which is uh, a shock to me. I've heard of it. Um, so when um, I talked about it with uh, one of my coworkers, um, who's into really into movies, mainly old movies. but Is your friend Anthony? Uh, technically, his name is Anthony, too. Oh, okay. Completely, completely coincidental. His name is Anthony. As well. Well, he can, so he can come and replace our dearly and departed Anthony. Yeah, if we do any musicals from the from the fifties and sixties, <laughs> well, maybe yeah. it's time to take this in a whole new direction. Direction, yeah. Start doing some awful musicals. Um, so <laughs> I mentioned, I was like, oh yeah, we're thinking of doing Law Abiding Citizen, you know, a Jamie Foxx movie. And he goes, 
oh, the one shot in Philadelphia. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then my, my interest level spiked, like, at least 100 to 1,000. And then you ran home and watched the movie. Oh, yeah, I watched. I, I literally got up before work and watched it. Oh, because, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was, huh. you know, like I said, it wasn't, um, get into my thoughts a little bit on it. it. It wasn't a, you know, terrible watch. So watching it at 6 in the morning, you know, before going to work, wasn't as bad as it would have been watching previous films that we have mm-hmm. done. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it it's like if you got up early in the morning and put on TNT or, you know, a USA or something, and they had, you know, whatever action movie they have on randomly at times. Yeah. You know, sure. and it, you know, it just not offensive in that way. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, when we, when we pick apart some, some moments here and there as you go through, you know, because we can probably just skeleton the plot and just sure. sort of talk about the main points. Um, but as you get through, I'll pick out those little things. But overall, like, I wouldn't turn it off if I saw it on USA, you know, and I was just cleaning the house or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those movies like, uh, you know, the Fast and Furious ones are, you know, like that for me for I but I like them more than I like this movie. But, right. you know, it's one of those, um, you know, and it's from that it's from that uh, time period, too. You have your like late two thousands, you know, um, action the thriller movies, either yeah. action psychological or anything that just seemed to be turning out. Like they, one of the suggested movies was that Three Days or something that I think was mm. like, um, uh, what's his name? God, uh, Gladiator. Oh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe okay. is in. Um, you know that, and I'm like, oh, and I looked at it, I was like, oh, it's like oh eight or oh seven or something like that. So yeah. it's like, you know. It's that kind of movie, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see your thoughts on it since you you were the one that picked it out. I'm assuming you had seen it before. That is correct. I had watched this uh, once before a few years back, probably around 2013, 2014. Uh, I was just kind of looking for something to watch, and this was available. I think it was on Netflix at the time. But yeah, uh, lately I had been kind of in a uh, Gerard Butler kind of mood. Uh, when, uh, basically when, before I would go to bed, I would just turn a movie on lately. I had watched Olympus had fallen on Netflix and then Jen and I watched Den of Thieves, which okay. wasn't that bad of a movie. Cause I was going to, I was thinking of maybe doing that movie instead, yeah. but to me, that was a more interesting movie than law abiding citizen. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I'll get into how I felt about it a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think We'll go into the plot, but before we do that, we should introduce our a good friend of the podcast, and let's see what they have to say. We'll be right back after these words. Hey, everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Welcome back to They Called This a Movie. Thanks for tuning in. We're doing Law Abiding Citizens, so we're going to get into the plot. But before I do that, uh, this has a 7.4 rating on IMDb. Pretty solid, right? Yeah. The Rotten Tomato score is 26%. Yeah. That's a huge drop off from that, yeah. right? It's 7.4. Yeah. You're looking it's... at a C plus or like a C. 
I can tell you exactly why that 7.4 is there. It's uh, it's because it's a very competent movie. You know, it has stars in it. It has good mm-hmm. actors in it. So there's nothing that screams terrible. Um, you know, it might be a bunch of Jamie Foxx fans, you know, mm-hmm. maybe voting it up. A bunch of Gerard Butler fans maybe voting it up. Yes. You know, it's one of those situations where, you know, hell, maybe there's this click of uh, Bruce McGill fans. Um, I, I don't think... <laughs> know if that's a thing. You know, MacGyver's got a strong fan base. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're right. So so maybe, because Law Abiding Citizen came out in 2009, so Gamer had come out before, The Ugly Truth had come out, Rock and Rolla, P.S. I Love You, and 300. So he was definitely riding that 300 wave. Yeah. Yeah. But after that, I mean, so he had a movie called Shadow Company. I never heard. He was the narrator, so I don't think he really had anything to do with it. But a lot of his movies after 300 were just pretty, uh, pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, he he rebounded with. Yeah. Yeah. He after 300, he kind of went away from action movies for some reason. I don't know why his why he did that, but whatever. Yeah, uh, he, he had those. He had those years like McConaughey did, mm-hmm. where all he did was rom-coms for some odd reason. Yeah, uh, it, it was a bad career choice, I think. Or maybe that's just something he wanted to do. But I, I'm a Gerard Butler fan, so I didn't hate this movie necessarily. Mm-hmm. I was just more bored by it because it's an interesting premise. And I guess we'll get into it, right? Yeah, yeah go right ahead. All right, cool. So the movie opens up with Gerard Butler and his family. They're getting ready to settle down. They're going to have dinner. Very nice, very peaceful. And then there's a knock at the door. Uh, Gerard Butler, Clyde Shelton, the character, goes to answer the door, gets a bat right to the face. It's a home invasion, not how you want to envision a peaceful so, night at the house, right? So so we see where John Wick got his opening from. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, uh, but there's no, there's no dog in here. It was no. just, just the a, a daughter and the, the wife. Just a so, kid. Yeah, just it's a kid. It's not a dog. So, <laughs> exactly. So I wouldn't have gone on a John Wick style rampage if it was just my family. But if they, if they get Harley or Bruce, my, my golden retriever and my, uh, golden lab, John, I'd make John Wick look like, uh, Dylan <laughs> Ted, right? Whoa. Um, so there's a home invasion. Gerard Butler is stabbed. The wife is stabbed and the daughter is stabbed. So out of everyone in the house, Gerard Butler lives. The two guys, are the, the two, uh, robbers and murderers, are caught and it turns out that the dna evidence is kind of inconclusive in court it's not going to hold up so jamie fox's character nick rice is the assistant da to bruce mcgill's da jonas cantrell jamie wants to cut it uh, nick rice wants to cut a deal with the one uh murderer uh, clarence darby Darby. yeah clarence darby who's going to rat on his accomplice, Ames, I believe. Ames. 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 Not yeah. Ames. Not the dog food. No. Uh, Ames. So he's willing to testify against Ames yeah. for a plea deal, and Nick wants to take it. So. Yeah, and, and at this point, I I'm not sure if they said it at any point in Home Invasion, but mm-hmm. you're not sure who's who, and then that's when it cuts the court, and you right. see the defendant is the aggressor. Yes, he's uh, Clarence Darby is the one who murders the wife and the daughter. He's getting ready to rape the wife, and the daughter interrupts it. And then Nick uh, uh, Clyde blacks out. So you don't really know what happens. We just find out that they're murdered. And Ames is the one 
who is kind of telling Darby to like, oh, let's get out of here, let's get out of here. So he's not, he's there to rob, he's not there to murder anyone. So Darby's ratting him out, saying that he's the murderer, and he's getting himself a plea deal. So Nick tells Clyde that they took the deal, the the, the evidence isn't substantial enough to get them both. Obviously, now th- this is where I... Or have either my, of them. Or yeah. either of them, right. So they can only make one thing stick, and that's yeah. the Ames. So to me... I feel like that's kind of bullshit because he was there and he even says, Clyde even says, listen, I saw their faces. I know what happened. The jury would believe me. And I think 10 times out of 10, that's going to happen, right? Yeah. There's a a murder. uh, A little girl was murdered. The wife was murdered, possibly raped. I mean, and he saw them. He did see them, even though he blacked out. I was like, well, I did see them. So I feel like any DA worth their salt can make that stick, right? Yeah, but I think the main thing that you find out here, A, they have the paper-thin, you know, plot that um, you blacking out is the reason why people won't, they won't believe you, and that the defense attorney will rip you to shreds, um, you know, because he got hit in the bat before he saw any of their faces. Right. Um, so that's that's the paper-thin argument that Nick makes. Um, but the, you find out before all this, that Nick is really obsessed with his conviction rate. Correct. So um, he just wants to get keep that conviction rate, as he says, 96 point or 96%. Right. So yeah. at this point, to me, Nick is the bad guy in this movie. Yeah. And I'll kind of get it. I'll delve into that a little bit later. So Nick, like Mark said, Nick just wants to keep his approval, not approval rating, his conviction rating high. So he makes the deal without Clyde's consent, essentially. I don't know if he needs his consent no, to do really. so. Right, because he's not really a part of the the outcome. So obviously Clyde is not very happy. Uh, Nick, he I don't think he really cares at this point. And uh, he goes home, he's happy. And there's that, that stare down outside the courtroom between Clyde and Nick. And you're just like, well, all right, obviously Nick or Clyde's going to give him his comeuppance. Yeah, yeah, and he sees him shaking hands with Darby. Right. You know, because um, Darby's an asshole. That guy plays that really well. Um, yes. The the line that um, uh, uh, Nick uses um, that comes around later is he says to him, "It's not what you know; it's what you can prove in court." Right. Is and... what he is what he says to um, you know Gerard Butler's character, and then um, and then it, this movie had whole things where they brought back lines like, "Make right. sure you were paying attention." Yeah, um, you can't. Because... Well, you can't outrun fate. Yeah. 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 So. You know, and that that comes back um, at multiple times in the movie. But at this point, it's sort of like, um, you know, I'm I wasn't I wasn't ready for the ten year jump when it happens. Right. Cause it happens at this point. Um, I thought they could have done it sooner, but as soon as they did the ten year jump, and I realized I was like, oh yeah, that's right, because Nick would have a daughter at this point. Yes. And yeah, so he he goes home after the yeah. the trial to his wife Regina Hall. And, you know, he's he's talking to the baby in her her stomach. So her belly, I should say, not yeah. stomach. babies don't grow in stomachs. <laughs> That's not how it works. Uh, so, yes, we flash forward 10 years later. Uh, Nick is in a very is in a very accomplished D.A. He's got a nice house. He's got a daughter. He's got a lovely wife. So he's he his life mirrors Clyde, essentially. So this is obviously important. There's going to be two parallels. Uh we fast forward 10 years. It's the day of Ames's uh, death on a death row. Yeah, They're going to lethal. Yeah, his execution. He's going to be uh, killed by lethal injection. Yeah. So 
uh, Nick goes with uh, Leslie Bibb's character, Sarah Lowell, and that's like his, basically his assistant. Yeah. So they go and everything seems like it's going to norm. It's going normally. I've never been to a uh, lethal injection, so I don't know if that's how it goes. (laughs) And something goes wrong. Ames dies a very painful death. And this is where we kind of get into the meat of it. Uh, As it turns out, uh, essentially, Clyde has kind of made these little booby traps for certain people. And he sets up Clarence Darby. And by putting the the fate line scratched into the the tampered with bottle. Right. So now the police are after Clarence Darby. Uh, Police show up, but uh, Clyde gives Clarence a little bit of a uh, heads up and helps him escape from the cops only to capture him and then uh, pretty much tie him up to a operating table. Now, to me, I, I notice a pattern with the the killings. So Gerard Butler's character is a tinkerer it's it's said right he he has a lot of patents he's a very smart guy so he invents all these contraptions to help get him get back at the people who wronged him yeah so he tortures clarence darby films it and he's got all these different gadgets there and i i noticed a pattern where the first guy who dies ames dies a very it's a painful death but it's very like subdued in in a way that other people's deaths aren't yeah. Right. So Ames dies from lethal injection, but he's poisoned essentially. But then Clarence gets the big one. Yeah. He gets the brunt of it. And rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, he tells him what he's going to do. He he cuts off his, you know, his testicles. He dismembers him limb by limb. And it's all caught on tape. I th- and I'm pretty sure he uh, decapitates him, right? Yeah. Which, yeah, because you see his head on the table when right. cops come in. Right. Yeah. And the, yeah, the, the, the whole point you know, of that is, um, you know, he wants them both dead because, right. you know, he assumes that Ames could have stopped Darby from murdering his family. Right. So he's going to have him suffer, but he needs to also make that look like Darby so that he can capture right. him, have him walk right into the trap. And then, yes. yeah, and then the first invention that he has is the gun that when the trigger's pulled, it actually shoots out, you know, needles. A that puffer poison fish. Them, puffer yeah, fish puffer shit. Yep. It doesn't poison him. It paralyzes him. So right. that he so still he feels, feels everything. All the, he feels everything but cannot move. Right. You so, know? And, and that's awesome. So essentially, the whole point of this movie is Clyde is going to get back at every single person who is a part of the case. The So he gets the killers. Yeah. Or the, uh, you know, he gets Darby and Ames. And then he's going to go after everyone in the legal system. So his grand scheme essentially is the legal system is broken and he's going to bring it down to show everyone that it's it's pretty much a joke and it and it kind of is the way that they do it in this movie but so essentially he has all these different techniques about doing it and when he kills darby it's awesome but then when he kills ames it's like all right well that was kind of boring and then he kills someone else it's awesome then he kills someone else it's not as awesome so it, it's up and down with the deaths yeah yeah i th- i think um it would have been pulled off better um as much as, and I don't mean to uh, bust on uh, your favorite actor here, but if, if it was somebody, you know, a little more menacing mm-hmm. than Gerard Butler, you know, and especially with those scenes with him and um, uh, Jamie Foxx, you know, where, right. you know, he's, I, I don't know exactly who, I couldn't, for some reason, he wouldn't work because he's too out there. 
But for some reason, my first thought was John Malkovich. Well, you know, I mean, Con Air, right? He's a psychopath. Yeah. Like something like, like I, I didn't, I didn't believe the turn, you know, from (laughs) smart, loving dad to the, you know, the smart, or the Probably more, you know, sociopath and psycho. Well, people can correct us, which is, you know, what he is here. Right. But yeah, I think I think that's I think that's the main problem where the movie starts to fall a little bit is once he gets into prison. Yes. So he and, he purposely yeah. gets himself caught uh, and for some reason, strips down. I don't. Uh, well, I think that was maybe just like maybe I don't know if that was his choice. Like, hey, hey, uh. Hey Gray, uh, I was really thinking about showing off my body. I've been working out real, you know, real hard lately. I'm pretty jacked right now. The ladies love me in 300. Let, let's let's see if we can replicate that. It's like, all right, strange choice, but I, I think it's more to show that he's not hiding anything. So yeah. when the cops come in, it's just like, all right, well, he clearly doesn't have anything on him. But then they bring him out in jeans, and it's kind of a letdown. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, why'd you why'd you strip butt naked if you're just gonna get jeans put back on you? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I think that guy just went to have that ass probably in, in the movie. Listen, I was I was teased with full frontal Gerard Butler, and I didn't get it. That's why this movie sucks. All right. Yeah. If, if F. Gary Gray is a coward for not showing some <laughs> coward some, for not showing some Gerard Butler dick. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that's what we all wanted. In- well, I mean, listen, he he was he was a big deal. Come on, yeah. show the goods, Gerard. The um. One of the major um, fun things um, in this part of the of the uh, case is um, they used an actual Philadelphia courtroom, um, oh, and they're cool. not set because um, I've been there for jury duty, and that is it. That is the yeah. only reason I know the inside of a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Sure, <laughs> I bet. Um, and so I found that that was one of those little things that you wouldn't have known, um, not uh, having to take jury duty in Philadelphia. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. They actually used the city as a set. And um, one of the shots earlier on um, establishes that it is actually the city. Is they do this aerial shot of when uh, Jamie Foxx's character is walking up the steps. Mm-hmm. You know, cause that's the, that is literally the spiral staircase from the subway entrance under City Hall. Oh, so cool. I was like, oh, that I, that's actually a good shot. Like, that's what I meant by the director says some really good. Um, and they. They use that Choices. shot a lot. They use that shot yeah. at least four times in the movie. Yeah, and it's 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 a great shot to to have in there because you know, it establishes like everybody. Oh yeah, yeah, we know that. And yeah, the only thing I can't pinpoint is um, I don't know which one of the prisons they used. Um, uh, the, you would know better than I would. Yeah, because I, I was like, I think it. I think yeah, the the one I think it is. I'm like, I've never seen it from the other side. Only driving past it on the highway, um, so I'm not sure. But um, yeah, the the whole uh, point getting back to you know um, you know Gerard Butler and um, doing the uh, the the court cases. He has a great moment, which I think would be better. That proves my point with a slightly better actor is when he does the freak out in court. Right. Yeah. You he, know. So he he gets himself caught essentially, and he starts to play a little game with jamie fox where i'll give you what you want but you have to give me what i want so he's trying to show that it's kind of a joke the the uh, legal system so he tells him you give me a bed i'll give you a confession so he gets the bed but he doesn't give a confession and he decides to be his own counsel in the courtroom case and is able to 
and, and is able to plea to uh, being released without bail or with yeah. bail, right? So yeah. he he pretty much makes a a mockery of this the, the court system. He, he yells at the judge like, "I supposedly killed two people, and, and you were going to let me go." <laughs> it, it was a good freak out, but yeah. I agree. I think if you get someone with a little bit more, I want to say like gravitas in it, yeah, you know, someone with a little bit more weight in it, I think he, yeah. it would hit a little harder. Yeah, Every, yeah, it just looks like he's just complaining. Yeah, there's only there's only one good scene where he does a turn that works, and I think because it's very physical, we'll get to it in a little bit. Sure. Um, but like that whole thing, like I just dropped some legal BS on you, and you bought it, and we're just gonna let me go. You know, that whole mm. turn that he does in the courtroom doesn't feel natural. No. Um, but and it sets a little bit of a precedent going forward, um, where. All the stuff that happens, I think, is really cool. You know what mm-hmm. they do? But I don't believe this guy <laughs> would be able right. to do it. Right. You know? So after the courtroom freak out, he is sent back to his uh, jail cell. And he starts to tell Jamie Foxx that he essentially has more victims ready in the yeah. in the waiting, essentially. And he's not going to tell him unless he gets what he wants. So now this is where the movie kind of hits a lull for me where I thought it was going to be more action. And then it kind of turns into a court drama where yeah. Jamie Foxx and his group are kind of going over legal documents and uh, like public records and stuff like that. I'm just thinking like, all right, well, I, I thought this would be better if it was just a straight like psychological thriller. Yeah. Like you were saying, Mark. And I, I don't know if it wanted to try to blend action and courtroom drama together and it and to me jamie fox he's a very good actor but i don't think he can he can necessarily carry certain film you know what i'm saying like there's he he really needs a strong script to deliver and he was kind of boring in this movie yeah like i couldn't tell how he wanted to play him me neither because there's very straightforward there's two ways to play it he could play it as you know very arrogant which Mm -hmm. he plays in the beginning or he can play it as the very practical, you know, DA. But he tries to do it both ways, and sort it doesn't of. work. Like, if he was way more cocky, you know, than he was, like, if he carried everything from the beginning through to, you know, there's one specific moment, you know, where he should change and start to become a little more worried. Right. Yeah, he, you know? he never has that point where he looks worried. Like he yeah. At one point, he's seeing all of his friends die. And his demeanor never changes. Like, he's not yeah. sad. He's not angry. Like, he's angry, but you don't see that rage. Like, if I don't want to see you die, Mark, but if I saw you and Anthony and our, some of our other friends blown up in car bombs, I think I'd be a little bit more distraught than how Jamie Foxx is movie. Yeah, he, 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 he attempts to, and maybe this was, you know, this could be the bad direction part. Um, on there is, is, you know, maybe he needed, you know, the director needed to push him a little bit to, you need to get here, mm-hmm. you know, for this, um, sort of, sort of direction there. But yeah, yeah. It's his whole, where I wanted, a, I wanted a little more like back and forth anger between yeah. them than there was like one moment where Jamie Foxx just yells at him yeah. would have, you know, after the car bomb, right. You, know, like, you being, see him breaking down. Yeah, right. yeah, just goes into that, you know, just goes and yells at him while he's in solitary. And then yeah. Gerard Butler's character can just be more like, 
you know, I got you where I want you. Right. You know, sort of thing. Right. And then that's when Jamie gets, you know, we'll get to it, but then Jamie gets the important piece of information and then, you know, you can go from there. But at this point, you know, he, he tells them, um, if I remember correctly, that he has the lawyer. Yes. The defense lawyer, the defense lawyer captive. And that he wants, um, Another Philadelphia thing, Dill Frisco Steakhouse there you um, go. stuff, yep. um, which I found out in the trivia. Um, the reason they picked Del Frisco's, which this is funny, is that um, he decided on that, the director, after dining there a few times during the filming. Oh, so there you go. they just show like at some point in filming, like, oh, yeah, whatever we're going to do here, just scrap it. I want these people. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably just going to be some no name thing or yeah. whatever. like he, he Gerard. So essentially Gerard Butler tells Jamie Foxx's character. I have the defense lawyer. Only I know where he is. And he has a certain amount of time left. If you want to find him, you got to give me food essentially. And it was probably just going to be, he, he wasn't going to pinpoint where he wanted it. It was just going to be, I want a steak with asparagus and mashed potatoes, blah, blah, blah. And then I guess uh, F. Gary Gray just decided, damn, this is some good fucking food. I want this in the movie. Yeah. I wonder what the... So you remember in um, uh, the first Avengers movie when yeah. they go to shawarma. get shawarma and like shawarma sales skyrocketed. Do you think that restaurant sales skyrocketed after this? Well, there, the slight difference between shawarma and this restaurant is that Del Frisco's is a really high-end restaurant. Oh, so they don't like, need... Like a high-end steakhouse. So they didn't need Gerard so, Butler's bump. No, they didn't really need the bump. I mean, it might have helped Maybe. seeing it in a movie because that is the actual truck, you know, and oh, that the is what the waiters truck. look like, um, you know. The white tux. You know, but no, it's from photos and or you see like on the news, like an event there or something like that. So everything was authentic, right. which was great. Um, but yeah, that 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 moment, I was like, that's pretty cool, you know, that, you know, they, they picked this one steakhouse. And then right. even the uh, the trivia makes more sense than my thought of they just picked a random steakhouse in Philadelphia that you would think lawyers would go to. Sure. But I like I like the, the idea that he ate there and, and made a conscious decision to do it. And this whole scene is one of my favorite parts of the movie where I actually started to I was on Clayton's side <laughs> a lot in this moment. Well, because, uh, you know, Butler. because uh, Gerard Butler. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, um, you know, the warden's being a dick yep. and slowing down the time and doing all this. And then it gets to him. He's like, I, you know, I told you one o'clock, right. you know, and it's here. And then, you know, they get there and find out that if they had given him the food at one o'clock, he would have made it. He would have made it. Right. So he gets the food. He tells uh, Jamie Foxx where to find the defense attorney and they miss him by 15 minutes essentially or like they they just missed the uh, cutoff time so the defense lawyer was buried alive with just enough oxygen that if the warden had gotten the food at one o'clock they would have found him yeah so he, gerard butler does have a pretty good line where i think he says uh by everyone else's watch other than the wardens you're late <laughs> so that's that's a pretty good line yeah. I'll, I'll give him yeah. that and also another trivia point is that the coordinates he gives it says in on IMDb that those are actually the coordinates to the hotel that the production staff was staying at. Oh, and not where they actually found the. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, we're, we're just we're gonna learn so much about Philadelphia in this podcast. It's gonna be yeah. great. We're just yeah. we should just name it the Philadelphia Movie Podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, Aunt. That's okay. Listen, if if he cared, he would be here be right here. now. Yeah. 
exactly. Um, so they get to the defense lawyer not in time. He's dead. Meanwhile, Clyde murders his cellmate very brutally with the T-bone of his T-bone steak. Yes, and this was the best Gerard Butler looked in this movie. Covered in blood, yeah. You know, well, doing was... doing this the the way he slinked around and was like, "Hey, man, you wanna, oh yeah, you wanna was... test it out and just sort of, you knew what was coming." Right. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely then, foreshadowed. And then the quick stab mm-hmm. and that whole quick violence, and then just the layback in the bed. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's very nonchalant about it. So he's put in solitary confinement, and he. Essentially, the rest of the movie is just him picking off people that were involved in the murder case for his family. He goes after the judge, and the way he gets the judge is cool. And then he that goes. Way, but I actually. That's my favorite one. Guilt, sort of. What guilt? Did I did I lose you, Mark? Uh, no, we're good. Oh, okay. No, I so, said yelp. <laughs> yelp. Yelp, like uh, Oh, yelp. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I had seen it before so i kind of knew it was going to happen but that that was a pretty good death and again it was it was cool because he got he dismembers the guy but then he buries one guy alive then he shanks a guy and then he you know then he blows the judge's head off with a phone uh and we find or go ahead i was gonna say of the people because we'll get to the other ones of the people that died um i don't know if i missed what crime the the cellmate committed um i think he was in a gang Okay, I was gonna say, um, because the deaths that really made me not like go, you know, had the right reaction you're supposed to have mm-hmm. was the, you know, was the cellmate because I'm like he's a bad guy, but I don't know if he deserved that. Well, he also <laughs> he also told Clyde that if he didn't share his food, he was gonna split his head open. So he's definitely <laughs> not that, a yeah. nice guy. guy. But <laughs> you know, it's kind of like. Uh, a couple stabs to the jugular with a T-bone stick. <laughs> well, you you remember how, like, I never. Whenever we go to uh, to dinner after we play D and D, I never tell anyone, "Give me your food, or I'm gonna smash your head into this table." <laughs> I know right? because I know. I'm a nice guy. But maybe it, it, may, maybe that was the line. You know, thinking back on it, maybe that was the line that was set up why he would kill him. You I know, think he was just ev- gonna kill him regardless. Yeah, but I mean, everyone else was. In, in in the theory of the movie, everyone else he killed was connected in some way to the case. Right. Besides for, this guy. Right. You know. Right. So he's moved to solitary confinement and he's still able to pick off people that are in the case. Like I said, he kills the judge when he's in solitary confinement. So now uh, Jamie Foxx and the the D.A. and his his people, they're trying to figure out how this is being done. And it turns out that. Gerard Butler's character is not just a tinkerer and a patent, like an inventor. He worked for the military and essentially he was a contract killer and the movie loses me there. I thought that's kind of lazy. He was the cue to James Bond, essentially to give people an idea of what they start to do with his character. That guy was really good. I like that act. Which guy? The, the the CIA guy or whatever, the military uh, guy that they meet. Uh, Bray. Michael yeah. Kelly, Bray. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, so they, they he did that together. He did real good. He right. was like, he was like, everything he does, you know, like... You, it can you, kill you. Yeah, just the his facial expressions and all that, you read that as, this guy is scared of this man. Right, he doesn't want to be... <laughs> he is the like, only one in the movie here. that who, looks... Who knows? 
petrified. Right. Like, if he gets caught, Clyde could kill him somehow. And But to me, so you find out that he was a contract killer for the military. He was able to get into places and kill targets without even being in the area. So, And he even says, if Clyde wants you dead, there's nothing you can do to stop him. So to me, I thought that was kind of lame. Like, oh, man, I, I really wish that they had just kept Clyde a father who was just like an inventor, this smart guy. And yeah. he was, and through the 10-year span, he was able to concoct these elaborate machinations to get back at everyone. But now it just turns out, oh, you know, he's just, he, he has access to all this military equipment. And you're like, God damn it. That would have been so much cooler if he was just a regular dude. And he's, now he's yeah. not a regular dude. Yeah, that, that's one of the few things, you know, because we normally do, you know, at the end, you know, the segment, how to do it better. That's one of the few things that I thought of. Right. Um, that you can, you know, just outside of changing actors, because that's easy stuff to say. But right. um, I'm glad that we were on the same wavelength with that in, in that, you know, that whole sub military plot line, you know, only sets up one thing later on. Um, that would make no sense if he was just a tinker, right. you know, family man. But that's only because they wanted that one thing. It's like it's like the things I've noticed in some movies with um, not with poor writing. We'll say poor writing because mm-hmm. um, is that they there's a lot of things they put in and sort of work backwards, and it's to the detriment of the movie, okay. um, or ma- or makes no sense to the movie. Like I think, for instance, in um, like in Sandlot Three when they only said that movie in 1976 so they can make a Ford Carter joke <laughs> in there. Like, I like how we keep going back to that. No, like, that's my prime example of it. Like, when writers do that, it, it always seems like they work backwards. Like, oh, I had this great thing. Yeah. Now I need to have something else in the movie that makes it make sense. So right. when we it, get they there, write you know, themselves into a corner, kind of. Yeah, but yeah. they love that idea so much. Right, that they, they this, have to shoehorn it in. Yeah, or that set piece. And this yeah. has a moment coming up, which we'll get to, but I want to go through because I have an issue with the next thing that comes up after this. Sure. But. So after he kills the uh, uh, he kills the judge and we find out that he's a he was a contract killer, essentially. Uh, Jamie Foxx is starting to get a little worried. Uh, everyone is pretty much on high alert now that they know that he can kill them without ever being present. Yeah, so meet the mayor, Viola yeah, Davis. Yeah, Viola point. Davis, who comes in. Uh, pretty much three quarters of the way through the movie. Yeah. Which, which was kind of weird because she's a pretty big name. You, you would think she would be apart from the beginning, but other than that. No, this is around the time of the help. So maybe. She was still pretty big. Yeah. Right? She didn't just blow up overnight. She'd been around for a little while. No, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, the whole, you know, like nowadays, Viola Davis would not be. Right. She'd maybe, be there at the beginning. She'd be there from the beginning. But this was, she was, I guess maybe she was too busy making the Suicide Squad. Assembling the Suicide Squad to stop Clyde to uh, to join in. It's essentially who she's playing, and just pretty popular. right. Yeah, she's a very no nonsense mayor. Yeah. Uh, so she's she tells Nick and her his team to just get this done, get him behind, you know, get a confession out of him. So they're they're scrambling to do that, and Clyde gives them one last ultimatum. He tells them, "You let me go, you drop all the charges by six a.m., or I kill everybody, everyone you love." So I think he actually just leaves it at everybody, which could yeah, be, right. <laughs> which, which makes it even more. I'm just going to kill all of Philadelphia. <laughs> just everyone. I'm, I'm going to sink Philadelphia into the ground. Uh, no, he, he tells him, let me go drop the charges or I kill everyone. And Nick being smug and arrogant 
says he, he calls his bluff essentially he says i'm we're not doing that six o'clock comes nothing happens seemingly and everyone is they're they're going home for the day uh, uh who i think leslie bibb's character is going home all the aides are going home they get in their car and they start to blow up and then okay. leslie bibb's character is the last car to blow up she sees everything happening and she doesn't get out of the car okay you you hit number one Right. <laughs> with this scene. <laughs> right. She she's seeing all this stuff happening and she's just she's panicking. What, what do I, and then it looks like she reaches for her purse or something instead yeah. of leaving. And I'm just sitting there like she had a she probably had like a good ten to fifteen seconds to yeah, get they, out. All they needed to do to solve my issue with this scene would have been just her grabbing the handle and it not opening. And right. that, you know, just oh, you know, and I'm like, okay. He did something to the car because I could believe that. Right. Yeah, to he where... somehow locked the car doors. Yeah. Yeah. And so that they couldn't get out. Yeah. You know? I don't understand it. But, but it, it, it would have the suspension of disbelief, you know, as a guy that does it for a lot of things I watch, um, you know, you know, that cars can fly out of buildings and land in other buildings. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they can bring down jet planes. Trains. Yeah. So. You know, just her doing that, I'm like, fine. It's terrible, but right. but her just panicking makes no sense. Um, right. In and that get, movie. And get then out of num- the car, lady. And then number two is they are on high alert, and they say, hey, it was swept for bombs, but uh, he put it in the gas tank, so we're going to find it. I'm like, so you didn't have the dogs around? Right. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's Again, to me, it just seems like there's some lazy writing here and there. Yeah. Uh, this is something that probably would have been caught in real life. Yeah. Like they would have had the bomb sniffing dogs around. Right. And not just the, you know, mirror under the car, you know, sort of thing they do at the border and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they even have the dogs there, but True. You, would th- you would think when people well, are dying in the city. Well, <laughs> at one point when they deliver the, when they deliver the catered food, uh, they have a bomb sniffing yeah. dog there. <laughs> <laughs> right, the dog jumps into the back and sniffs everything. And so, where, where were the God, dogs on this it one? Me, it's the only part of the movie that made me slightly angry. Um, because I'm just like, you had so many other things. You made this guy a genius. Right. You could have, you could have easily said something like, and maybe they did. Maybe we missed it, and we apologize if we did. If they said that it was a non-traceable chemical. Right. Like, I think it's one, just a remote detonator. Detonator. Yeah. He has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like one line. They just say it was an untraceable chemical. You go, oh, mm. yeah, he works for the military. He's a smart right. guy. He works, it's, you know, very easily believable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> just uh, but anyway. So, you know, at this point, this is when I would have loved Jamie Foxx to just, you know, snap mm-hmm. and have that freak out moment and have Jonas calm him down. Right. You know. Like him go try and run in on James on you know um, Clive's character, right? I called him Clayton earlier, right? Yeah, Clyde. Yep. Clyde. Um, you know, just bust in or try to get in and get held back, and just yells down the hall. You know, right? Yeah, he then, just yeah, he has a a breakdown of sorts. Yeah, and then Jamie Fox sort of. I mean, I'm sorry. You know, Bruce McNeil's character just sort of calms him down, and then they go see the mayor and and the things that happen after that. Right. But they don't have that moment. And I think that's that's one of the other things they could have done to make it better is to he only seems emotion. They make him uh, emotionally attached to Sarah, or at least right. they write it that way. They shoot it that way. And then she dies and they have that death scene where they stare at each other in slow motion as the car is exploding. 
and his reaction is to just shut down. Yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't show any emotion. No. And he, and that's why I said if if I saw that happening, I, I definitely would have cried. I would have yelled. But yeah, Jamie Foxx just kind of he's he looks a little sad. That's all. Yeah. He's just like mm, my friends died. Oh well. Yeah. yeah. And you just you you can go through, um, you know, having him mad and angry and trying to figure it out, and then he gets that one piece of evidence that he'll get in a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that sort of tips the scales in his you know direction, and that would have been okay. Now you go into act or what you know, right? You know, the end but of before act that happens, he goes to a cemetery, right? They yeah. they go to bury their friends, yeah. and Clyde is able to get a bomb disposal robot and yeah. outfit it with a machine gun and rocket launcher and just blows the yeah. shit out of their and their motorcade. This is the thing that I swear the writer wrote first, and then <sighs> had to shoehorn in how he would be able to get. Military-grade anti-tank rounds yeah. for the machine gun and a military-grade missile or bazooka, right. you know. Maybe that's something that you could find on the streets in Philadelphia in 2009. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. to me, that stuff's pretty hard to come by, even regardless of whether you're in the military or not. Yeah. And by the way, some of these deaths, the city would be freaking the fuck out. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you you're you're blowing people's cars up, you're blowing judges' heads off. There's going to be news about this stuff. You yeah, can't they, just... there's only like one news broadcast about it like real quick. Right. And I'm pretty sure everyone will yeah, now you're bringing it into a public place where you're blowing up a cemetery. Yeah. People are going to be on high alert. Yeah. Um and they I don't know if they tried to show that and just failed at it, but yeah, and then it cuts to, you know, the mayor is basically like you know, you got it. You said you were going to fix this. Right. You know, and that's basically the extent of the city freaking out that we get. Right. She's, she says she's going to put cops on every corner. Yeah. Just to, like, heighten the police presence. <laughs> but uh, without again, getting into our feelings about militarizing cities and police departments and stuff well, like that. This was 2009. So it yeah. wasn't really people still trust the cops at that point a little bit. They They hadn't really run out of goodwill. Yet. But yeah, at this point, it just it just rubs the wrong way. It feels very, to use well, a term that's sure. outdated, not outdated because it should never be outdated because the term means, but a term that's a little overused nowadays, you know, with the, it feels very fascist. Yes. What she's yes. doing. Yes, she's <laughs> essentially putting the, she's declaring martial law, well, essentially. Yeah, without the army. Right. Uh, so after that, Jamie Foxx, he loses his friend uh, Jonas Cantrell, played by Bruce McGill. And again, he's just, he's not really, he's sad, but that's about <laughs> it. He he doesn't really show any emotion. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets a email from uh, yes. Sarah Lowell, Leslie Bibbs' character's boyfriend, and it gives yeah. him all of uh, Clyde's hey. real estate purchases. Yeah. Before we dive into that, the one thing I want to point out with this, and maybe because, you know, how well made and shot it was that we could see this, they never establish... Is he using her computer? Because they it says, say. you know, because it says his name and then to Sarah, you know, in the hmm. email. I spotted that just because I was curious when I Maybe saw the was. name pop up. You know, I was like, well, why would he be emailing, you know, Jamie Foxx's character? You right. know, but and it, it brings up an odd thing for two reasons that they could have explained the way pretty easily. One. He could have just been emailing Jamie Foxx's character. Yeah. Why have that slight error in the, you know, that right. seems like a script coordinator mistake. 
you know, to say, or, or editing, sort of, hey, I think he would know that his girlfriend was dead. <laughs> he wouldn't be right. emailing her. Unless he you doesn't know. have his access to his own computer for some reason. I, yeah, don't, like I they, have no idea. They could have done something, um, or even shown that it was a forward, right. like that all of her email was getting forward to Nick. And, you know, but to me, thing. what what annoyed me about this was it just kind of seemed like a MacGuffin. Like, oh, oh yeah. well, we need to somehow get Nick to figure out. The whole Panama thing. Right, and I was just like, man, I would have rather have seen Jamie Foxx figure it out himself. So he yeah. needed help. He couldn't figure it out himself. It, this entire movie, it's supposed to be a whole cat and mouse game between Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx, yeah. where Gerard Butler is one step ahead. But you don't get any closure when the main character gets help from an outside source. And she's like, all right, well, if that didn't happen, he wouldn't have figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, and it seems like everybody's doing things for Nick. Yeah. In this like, yeah, he figures Bruce nothing McGill's, out on his own. Yeah, Bruce McGill's character figures out the military thing. Right. You know, Sarah's boyfriend figures out the the buildings they own thing. Yeah. You know, the cops figure out a couple of the other things earlier in it. Yeah. Um, beforehand. And then even later, which is the next couple scenes we get into, the cops are figuring out things, you know, and Nick's just sort of there. Yeah, he, he just happens to be there. He never connects the dots himself. Yeah. So it turns out the way that Clyde is able to murder these people from his cell is that entire 10 year span from the beginning of the movie to now, he had dug a tunnel system from some of his uh, purchases, his land purchases into the prison so he can easily get back and forth without making it seem like he ever left. And he, he has this whole tunnel network to all the cells. He has all of his military equipment, surveillance systems. He's he's decked out to the nines. So he's able to see everything and everyone. Yeah. It's kind of like the reverse Morgan Freeman in The Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's essentially like, I think this is supposed to be the payoff of you thinking, hey, who's his accomplice? Who could be helping him? You know? That's right. Like, yeah. Because Jamie Foxx is convinced that Gerard Butler has an accomplice. And the whole time you're going, this movie can go only one of two ways with how much they're harping on that. You know, it's like how I knew the Panama listings was going to be very important because that MacGuffin Mm. kept being brought up multiple times when it didn't need to be brought up. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that it's either going to end up being someone in the Justice Department. Right. Like one of those two cops that are there all the time. Right. It's going to be the helper. Um or it's going to be because they even set that up a little bit when he's talking to the cops for the first time when they're going after Darby. You know, like why'd you did, make that deal sort of thing in the car? Right. You know, so did you think it would be Jamie Fox? No, they, they could have went that way. That would have been weird. You know, but <laughs> I, yeah, wouldn't I, hated it. I didn't think I didn't think they would have done no. that. Or they went the way they went. Right. You know, where so, would you think Bruce McGill would have been a good one? To be the accomplice? No, I think the cops work best just because okay. those are the only ones that would be upset that he made the deal. Right. Yeah, because that would... that's right. Because uh, who who plays him? I think it's... Uh, he's, a, he's a famous character actor. Uh, Cole Meany. Yeah. He was also in Con Air. He's the dickhead uh, FBI agent. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he... Or when the uh, ATF agent. That's right. That's yeah. right. So that when they're going after uh, Darby in the beginning, he goes, oh... So this guy got to walk, essentially. Oh, he only got like a couple years in prison. Is that the going rate for a murderer these days? So, yeah, they kind of do drop that little breadcrumb. 
that would have been cool. I think that yeah. would have been fun. Yeah, they were the only two that were were that I was suspecting the whole time. Anything else would have been terrible. Would have been like recent M Night Shyamalan twist, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah. All of a sudden, Jamie Fox turns around and like. Yeah. I was the other accomplice. Well, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you killed your friends Thanks. for nothing for a deal yeah. you made? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. the, the cops would have been a good one. Uh, yeah, and then especially when I was thinking like there was a 2% chance once they got into the 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 car garage mm-hmm. and figured out the, you know, what was going on because the cops seemed to know where everything was. That's true. You know, as they were going through, I was like, all right, there's like a one percent chance that he's going to turn on him here. You know, right, see, now it, that would have been interesting. You know, and so oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And yeah, and I was going to say, but then as soon as they, you know, got to the cell, right, is when I was like, okay, no, he's not turning. You know, this right. Is- so it turns out that there is no accomplice. It's just Gerard Butler he, using the tunnel network to go wherever he pleases. Uh, Jamie Fox and uh, Meany, uh, Detective Dunnigan, they find out his next target is going to be city hall where the mayor and like a bunch of like homeland security Security, the uh philadelphia police department fbi so there's there's a bunch of big wigs meeting at town hall he's going to blow up town hall essentially uh they're able to they're trying to figure out now like they they find the bomb they're trying to figure out what to do yeah and here's another point where nick doesn't figure out anything on his own when that cop opens a thing the cop knows exactly what kind of Bomb it, bomb it is yeah i mean i don't give nick a hard time about that one because i wouldn't know anything about a bomb either it's just another situation where right you know, he would have been he would have been clueless yeah if he's by himself he'd been like well he probably would have assumed it was a bomb but he wouldn't have known what exactly was going on how it's triggered and yeah. all that so now they're trying to figure out what to do because they don't want to set off uh clyde's attention because if he sees everyone leaving he's going to know that he's been found out and detonate so we follow clyde back to his uh, underground network so here's one philadelphia point okay i think and i'd have to rewatch it and i would because this movie's not terrible when he gets stuck in traffic which by the way that area is really bad traffic <laughs> it's right around city hall it's an underground parking lot so it makes complete sense that this would be but i think like he goes under the parking lot and if i know the way that parking lot works when he comes out, he would just turn back into that traffic. Uh, <laughs> like, and just be right back where he started. Yeah, and it wouldn't have been... Um, I think essentially he would have to come out an entrance, but I'd, I'd have to look at the street patterns again. But I was like, it's like, ah, come on. I know what he's <laughs> doing, but... And A, also, yeah. how did he get in and out of a parking lot is a whole other question. Right. Um, knowing that, what that parking lot's like. Because if that were the case... <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. If that were the case, everyone would have taken that parking lot. Yeah. Right, like oh, it's yeah. cut right through here. Yeah. But uh, so he's on his way back, and he arrives back in his cell only to be greeted by Jamie Fox, who he figured it out. He he tells him he knows exactly who has been doing it, and he discovered his little network. So he knows they have it's yes, really... yeah. He he figures it's the end of the road for the accomplice. So they have a little back and forth where. Nick tells Clyde that he's no longer going to make deals with murderers. And Clyde says, well, it looks like I taught you well. So essentially the whole plot boils down to Clyde getting revenge on Nick by saying you shouldn't have made a deal with the murderers. And it's a very roundabout way to do it. But (laughs) so Nick tells him, listen, 
you don't have to blow up City Hall. If you do, you're going to live with that. You're going to live with that choice for the rest of your life. And Clyde decides, you know, I've come too far to stop now. Calls in the He calls in the bomb. And it turns out Nick pulled a fast one on Clyde. He put the bomb under his bed. And I kind of think for someone as smart as Gerard Butler's character is, if you know that Jamie Foxx has figured out your tunneling system, he's probably on to everything else. So he probably knows you're going to blow up City Hall. Therefore, he knows that you have a bomb. Yeah. Right? So like two two plus two equals four kind of thing here. You know he's got the bomb with him, in my case. Yeah, and also the timeline doesn't work either. Right, Um, there's no way he would have beaten him back. Yeah. Right, because when Jamie Foxx finds the bomb, uh, Gerard Butler's already on his way back to the prison. Yeah, and you would have to, A, have gotten that bomb out, Mm-hmm. Um, through the security without tipping off security. Right. Um, and you'd have gotten it into a prison unless if they took the tunnel network, which again, right. I think he would have noticed. Right. How would he not? Have, there's no way he would have beaten him back through that tunnel system. Yeah. Yeah. And and been able to be on the other side of the bars. Right. You know, it's there's right. so much illogical in in this scene. But now, there there's a point where. Right before they do that, uh, Dunnigan and Rice, uh, Nick, they're breaking into one of uh, uh, Clyde's uh, properties. So Detective Dunnigan goes, well, what about his civil civil rights? And Nick Rice, Nick just goes, fuck his civil rights. Yeah. So essentially, Clyde has proven the his point in this entire movie. he, He proves it right there that. None of this matters. None of the law matters. If you want to do something, you're going to do it. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's just um, that's supposed to be the big reveal of the movie is that, you know, um, doing justice the way they were doing it. It's was wrong. wrong. Yeah, it's broken. Yeah, and, essentially. Yeah, it's broken. And you need to just do what's right. Not, you know, sort of, you know, what's right. You know, what's good and evil. Right. You know, sort of that's supposed to be the lesson here. And yes. it's, it's it's not well executed. It's a it's a good in theory. Like if you told me we we're writing a movie about how the justice was broken in 2009, you know, there's a whole different connotation that no. we would do it in you and know now. 2019. Right. Um, even excluding politics from it, just just the you know law enforcement side of it. Right. Um, it, you'd be a completely different story and told in a completely different manner. Um, that this even slightly hints at, but. Um, doesn't fully go there because they didn't couldn't think that those things would happen. Um, I would but, I would imagine yeah 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 <laughs> you would the premise of the movie is fine like okay yeah, I get that there's been hundreds of movies that are sort of like this um, in the right. healthcare the, world the, the, the father know. trying to get back at his uh, his family's murderer yeah but I, the, I think um, what's the Denzel Washington movie with Matthew John McConaughey Q. John Q is one of them that was uh, the one I was going to Samuel L Jackson. Uh, yeah. A time to kill. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there. This movie had, like you said, it has the, it has a good premise where he he's an inventor kind of thing. And again, I think they really should have stuck with just that. And no one knows how he's killing people, but man, like they had so many good opportunities. I guess they had to make it the their military own. thing. Could have also been how he would have gotten all the money to buy those properties. He right. Would have needed to be well, on a government I, contract. I thought. 
that at the like at the beginning of the movie they say that Clyde's character had a bunch of patents that he sold that oh, made okay, him nice. wealthy. So I thought that was like he just Maybe. invented a few I, things. I may have missed it, but yeah. So okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's essentially what happens to end the movie, uh, Clyde goes to blow up City Hall only to find out that the bomb is under his bed and he dies. That's it. That's the end of the movie yeah. essentially. Yeah. And, and this was another situation where they purposely made it napalm just yeah. so they could have that final shot, which is a cool shot. Yeah, it's very it's slow. He's looking at the uh, the bracelet that his daughter made him on the night yeah. that she was killed. And there's just that slow fire uh, rising. Yeah. And then yes. he Jamie Foxx puts a lot of prisoners in danger yeah. by allowing the bomb into the. Oh, oh <laughs> and also you have to think they would have needed time to a get the bomb there, b right. clear out the prisoners. Right. Um, and uh, anybody... Unless you just didn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could see that. But like there's so many little things that don't right. get me started. Well, because well, I did. Jen said the same thing. She was, well, aren't the other prisoners going to die? And I said, well, no, I'm sure that it'll just be contained to that one area. And then they have the scene when Jamie Foxx is walking away from the uh, the, the prison and you just see this huge explosion. <laughs> Yeah. And she goes, and she goes, no, yeah, people are dying there. <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah, most likely some yeah. other people died. And uh, yeah, and that's a uh, law abiding citizen. Yeah. The the morbid person in me wanted something to happen in that final scene where, you know, the daughter's playing the cello. Mm-hmm. Oh, like just one final. The, the final note. you to, you know, to him. Right. You know, well, because he even says if he had wanted to in that 10 year span, he could have slaughtered his family if he wanted to. And yeah. that doesn't even elicit much of a reaction from Jamie Foxx. He goes, you don't think about talking about you don't think about my family. You don't think about that. Yeah. Like, If someone had just m- threatened to murder my family, I would have my hands would be around their throat and I would be I'd have to be restrained. Yeah. But, but yeah. In that moment, I think he's still trying to be cool and collect it because he thinks he's got him. You know, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the one thing that bothers both of us is still that he should have freaked out after they killed six people, right? You know, right. And it... at that point, he knows how dangerous he is. Yes, he knows that he may be a step ahead of them all the time, right? So, essentially, this movie it, it is competent for sure. It's not a terrible movie. Uh, I don't believe it deserves a 7.4 IMDb rating. I also don't think it deserves a 26% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I'd probably hover it around 40 in the 40s because, like you said, there is some good acting in here. But I think Gerard Butler is not the right guy to pull off the okay. sociopath. Yeah, yeah. he's he. It, it needed a certain better actor. I, I don't know who that is. I would have to look and see who was around. And then, like I said, John Malkovich, probably because of Tom Harris, was the first one that came to my head. Um, right. But I did want to mention, is it me or does Bruce McGill basically play the same character he plays in Time Cop in this movie? Uh, I can see it. I can <laughs> see it. Well, Bruce, a... Bruce McGill usually plays the same guy yeah. every <laughs> time. Yeah, he's only slightly, um, you know, less uh, buttoned up in MacGyver than he is in every other movie that he's right. in. And, and my, con- my cousin Vinny, he has the same demeanor, really. Yeah. Oh, he he's he's a very good character actor. I like yeah. Bruce McGill. Yeah, but it was just funny that some of the mannerisms and jokes that he made, which might just be him. No, no, I think that's that's him. Was, yeah, that's just I his... was like, he's reminding me exactly like the head of that police force in Top Cop. Yeah, and I think that's just his mannerisms because he has the same line delivery in every movie so far that I've seen him in. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, he, he's making his second appearance on They Called This a Movie. Uh, like and I was saying earlier today, it's always good to have repeat actors on this podcast. Yeah, because we can see things like this. Yeah, yeah. Like, can, hey, you can kind of compare. Does the, same, does the same thing. Right. So, uh, yeah, this this movie had some good actors in it. I just think the lead roles were miscast a little bit, or they just the the direction wasn't there. Uh, I I hate hearing Gerard Butler with an American accent because you you get the the bit of the Scottish brogue in there every I, now and then. Yeah, and I wonder, talking about the actors, I guess we can move into what we would do to make it better at this sure. point. Um, knowing the trivia that we found out that originally he was cast as Nick, mm-hmm. Gerard Butler, I kept thinking after reading that, was like, I knew they couldn't do it because, you know, you don't want to... Uh, Jamie Foxx would never agree to it because he didn't probably wouldn't want to be seen as the angry black guy. Sure. Um, sort of, you know, you wouldn't be able to get him. But uh, for the two actors, I... Th- think you could have gotten Jamie Foxx to be a more convincing psychopath than Gerard Butler was. Well, even I, I do think he doesn't like being that guy because even in that movie yeah. Collateral with uh, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that, but I can't think of Tom Cruise as a hitman, like just a cold blooded assassin, you know, yeah. and obviously Mission Impossible is it's two different things. He's not an assassin. He's a government agent. Uh, yeah. And Jamie Foxx was the, I, I forget what kind of character he played, but he was more of like the, the blue collar guy. Uh, I agree. Um, I think, yeah. I, I think you should have found someone other than Jamie Foxx and Gerard Butler to yeah. portray these. Two. And, and, but they weren't bad. It's just Jamie Foxx doesn't have any emotion throughout the movie. And yeah. Gerard Butler has too much emotion and it just doesn't yeah. come. You don't get the right feeling from it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not. You know, it's it's always kind of hard to have perfect cast. Um, sure. I think it's only happened a few times that I can think of where I couldn't think of anybody playing them. And, you know, number one is Face Off. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> you, you can't. There's nobody. No. I mean, even if they do this remake they're doing, mm-hmm. I think they got to do it where it's it's two women just because you can't yeah. do two different guys. So, someone on Twitter said if they were going to do the Face Off remake, you cast... Nicholas Cage and John Travolta again, but just switch the characters. Oh yeah, <laughs> I saw someone say you should hire Nicholas Cage to be both characters. I mean, with the but, digital yeah, age yeah. now, of course you could. I, I won't take a hundred percent credit for the women thing, even though that's what I was thinking. I had seen somebody say that a good pairing would be Vanessa Kirby and Samantha Weaving, right? That's uh, I mean, in the way Hollywood is trending, and yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, obviously, but. Yeah. You would, I would not be surprised if they decided to do a female face-off yeah. reboot. Yeah, I think they, I think they had not the. This is our first tangent of the night, I think. Um, I think you know that reboot. Um, the only reason, and it, it's not a diversity thing, or even though I think there should be more female-led movies and people of color and women of color. Sure. Um, is that you know you can't find two other male actors right. that would be good in that role as good as Travolta and Cage. So you have to change something up about it. You know, I, you know, I think I could find... I think I could pick... I think Ben Foster would be a pretty good uh, uh, choice for one of those roles, because he can do crazy. But, I mean, he yeah. can't do crazy the way Nick Cage can yeah, do crazy. Like there, there's, yeah, it, it's it's just that I think if you're going to make a twist on it, that needs... Sure. Um, you, just because you, you can find a multitude of female actresses that could fill those roles, um, you know, to do it that, you know, wouldn't 
you know, that would do great jobs and want Alyssa Cage and Travolta like every, all the male actors. Sure. But yeah, that's the point of going back to that's why, you know, perfect casting is always hard, but you have to, in a movie like this, you know, psychological thriller, um, which is what this is attempting to be, you need the actor playing the psychopath or the, you know, villain, whatever in it. You look like he's going to be a little crazy. You know, you, yeah. you have to believe the crazy. Um, even if he's supposed to be a smart, you know, crazy guy. Yeah. You have to believe it. Yeah. Right? I never really believed that Gerard Butler was a crazy person. Yeah. 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 You, you know, he it, that switch never turned on. No. Like, like, it's uh, slightly not to name another movie, but, you know, if, if they're going to do what they're going to do with Joker, I believe Joaquin Phoenix can be a crazy guy. Right. You know, he's proven it in real life. Yes, uh, but, that's true. Yeah, he went on that whole tangent. Yeah, yeah. You know, he would have been asked. I don't know what he was doing around the time. Probably. But, you know, um, but yeah, that, that's what I meant. Gerard Butler was trying to do one of those things like a, you know, teenage pop star trying to become an adult. Mm -hmm. singer did you know trying to be the bad guy but still had a like slightly righteous reason like couldn't be completely evil you know character to try to save his image but yeah yeah and the only other thing i would have done is you could have completely flipped it on his head and just had um gerard butler was just nuts and had you know murdered his family mm. and then had these two guys arrested you know that the the criminal system thing would have been they got these two guys on, you know, false charges because they've been like people they've been trying to arrest for years and put away, you know, and, right. you know, he knew, you know, they they could have completely flipped the script on it and done something like that. Um, but uh, like I said, it's too competent to either have much. True. On about it. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to basically to how we would make this movie better. Again, I think one of them is you just leave it where Clyde is just a regular guy he's not a military genius or tactician he's just a man bent on revenge who he's he knows how to make contraptions and he's able to just be one step ahead of jamie fox uh i also kind of think and again maybe because i'm a horror fan maybe you make this into a saw type movie uh because the blood's there right they blow uh, he dismembers uh darby and they sh they show the dismembered body. Uh, he blows the judge's head off. I mean, the blood's there. Uh, I think you don't need to go full saw, but just I, I think the the deaths should have been a little bit more consistent instead of he dismembers a guy, but then he buries a guy, and then he stabs a guy, but then he blows the judge's head off. And it's like so, you, a lot of up and downs. I think the uh, the killings could have been a little bit more creative. Uh, but yeah, and I also. I really wanted Gerard Butler's character to win in the end. And I think they went a little bit too far with him trying to blow up City Hall. Uh, I think you just go after people in the court, in the courtroom case, and it's him and the, the final victim is Jamie Foxx. You didn't really need to go after Viola Davis and all that. It just went a little yeah. too far. Yeah, they went a little too far because it was like, I want to bring down the entire institution on your head, is what he says to Nick at one point. That's fine. I just, it just he went... He he was starting small, and then all of a sudden he does this whole big. He wants to do this grand uh, finale kind of thing, and it just didn't seem to fit in his character because he wanted to get everyone who was involved in the court, not everyone in the justice system. Uh, so I think that kind of worked against it, and I, I really wanted to see Gerard Butler's character win. 
And yeah. <laughs> although I don't agree, I don't want to see uh, Jamie Foxx's daughter blow up after she finishes just... her uh, <laughs> her cello. That is the grand finale. Right. Is or that, she's... you know, he finally succumbs and goes, all right, I've gotten everyone, you know. Right. Has gotten this case. You got me now. Okay, I'm going to go to prison. And then, you know, at the end of the movie, all of them die. Like, that entire theater blows up, <laughs> you know. With That's their, a Joker then, move. You know, and then, the, and then the last scene is, like, him, like, in his jail cell. Okay. You know, sort of, you know, he won. He got everybody that, and all a couple of innocent people as well. Mm. Um, but, you know, just sort of, you know, he he got revenge on everyone. And, you know, now he can, like, he's on death row now or something. Right. You know. Okay. And he'll eventually die, and then everyone connected with the case is dead. Yeah, there you go. But you could have done that, too. But right. I don't think they, in 2009, I don't think they could have gotten away with that. Probably, I mean, man, 10 years, it's so much has changed with movies in general. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought this movie wasn't too bad. Uh, I would watch it again. Yeah, it's uh, whenever the I, top of the movies we watched. Yeah, whenever I, I mean, yeah, this was a major motion picture. Really, I had a lot of backing. Yeah, so, so it's around uh, species and mannequin right. and all that. Fifty million dollar budget. It only made seven. Or it made twenty six million in its opening weekend, so not very good. Uh, grossed one hundred twenty six million worldwide. So yeah, it this did not go very well with the uh, audience members. Um, I can see why. Again, it, to me, it was kind of boring at times. A lot of uh, it didn't know what it wanted to be. Yeah. But overall, I enjoyed it. And yeah, I think we I, I was a little nervous when watching. I was like, oh, I don't know if we're going to have a good episode out of this. But I think we were able to kind of dig in and yeah. pinpoint some things. But overall, I didn't hate it. I yeah. I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but it's certainly not a terrible movie. Yeah, and I, I think the final point, and we'll both agree on this. Um, it is a lot easier to do this stuff when part of the movie is competent yes. because when the movies are, have, have no, you know, competency to them at all is when they're boring or, you know, um, you know, you get situations with that dumb Mayan movie that we watched, yeah. you know, where, you know, it's just, it just, it just doesn't connect. And I think I think you did a good job of choosing this. And oh, thank you. That's be a good episode. It's, you know, we're almost at ninety minutes. So there we go. So we always uh, we never have a problem talking. I mean, some movies are a little bit more difficult than others, but uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, what do you think, Mark? We we touched on we're everything. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, we're gonna run through our little spiel now. Uh, you can find me at diaquino one twenty two. That's my Twitter. You can also follow our. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons Real Play Podcast, Stranger Damies. Uh, Twitter is at Stranger Damies. Please follow. Uh, send us comments, whatever. We we love interacting with fellow D&D players and just people in general. Uh, our Instagram is Stranger Damies. And that's pretty much it for me, Mark, if yeah. you want to take it away. Yeah, no. so we have a special episode coming up. Uh, or actually, it would have aired um, yesterday. Yeah, uh, are talking to strangers leading into our next sessions coming up. So be sure we talk about, you know, all the crazy stuff that has happened because we had a very important moment happen in the last session mm-hmm. that we've been waiting a year and a half plus to see how you guys would react to. And I, I just really loved how you guys did. Um, so we, we discuss all that. We think about our future. 
We announced Extra Life, which is the other thing to point out. Yes. Um, we're doing an Extra Life campaign November 16th, 9 a.m. on twitch.tv slash the main Um You can uh, watch us there. We point for 24 hours, benefiting uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to play a live session on there, depending on scheduling. I don't know how long it'll be. We're hope I'm hoping at least three hours um, on there. But if we have a little more time um, before guests show up that are not in <laughs> that the are not into game, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or you know, not even not even John in particular. I'm saying if other people show up, you oh, know, that aren't special guests. Yeah, yeah. You don't know. Maybe you know one of the wives or something. Sure. You know that's not Jenny. You might want to pop in. <laughs> right. You know for the <laughs> you know. Well, my wife, yeah, she plays. So yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, just, just no no guarantees there on how long. You know, I would like it to be a longer session, but sure. we'll see. But so, just let him, we'll do our normal thing, play play video games, first-person shooter, shooters, uh, Jackbox, Party Pack, um, Mario Maker 2, you know, just a whole bunch of classic games, because Tom has this insane setup right. um, for playing actual classic games off the cartridge, um, not, and not through dubious means. Hmm. Um, which we can probably still do that as well if we need a specific game that somebody wants to play and joke about or someone suggests in chat. Right. Um, you know, but it'll be fun. Um, look forward to it again, November 16th, uh, 9 a.m. You can donate now, anytime between now and the end of the year on December 31st. Uh, you can go to tinyurl.com slash extralife4, the number four. Um, so you can do that now. It's probably going to change. Um, once we get everything settled, I can come up with a name um, for this because each one of our extra lives for the past four years have added a name to it that's related to a movie or something like that. So um, be on the lookout for that. I think we're good. Awesome. So once again, thank you so much for uh, listening in. We are They Called This a Movie. You can find us at theycalledthisamovie.podbean.com. Uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, please download, uh, rate, and review. We would love to hear what you think. If you have any movies that you would like to uh, uh, suggest for us to review, you can hit us up at uh, the main Damie. That is our Instagram, uh, not Instagram. That is our Twitter. Uh, we do have a Facebook page. I believe it's Facebook.com/slash/TheMainDamie, and we are also available on Geek Vibes Nation. So that is GV Nation, their Twitter, and GeekVibesNation.com. And that's all the ways you can reach us, I believe. Uh, so once again, we are Dan Aquino and Mark Myers telling the director, F. Gary Gray, to kindly go fuck himself.